Hey guys, welcome, welcome, welcome. This is um my podcast, duh. At this point, you probably know this by now, but uh, it's uh week four, episode four of my uh watch for uh the stand miniseries, the new miniseries from CBS All Access. Um, the episode is called House of the Dead. Um, and I kind of want to start, um, I wanted to start this episode with a little interlude before the events of, um, yesterday. Um, so I'm going to be talking briefly about something. It's Thursday, January 7th, 2020. If you're listening to this anytime in the future, the far future, the near future, or whatever, that's the day I'm recording this. I'm recording this near minutes after I've seen the latest episode. Um, and uh, I think... Um, I think after the events of yesterday, January 6th, I think most of us hopefully will feel like we're living in a house of the dead, so to speak. Um, And I just want you all to know that I I hope you're all good. And um, I wish you all the best. And these are dark times right now. They've been dark times for years now. For me personally, they've been dark times for the past four to five years. Um, and definitely, um, I don't know what to say right now, honestly, about what happened yesterday, um, except to say that when this thing started, um, when the stand, the the miniseries, this new version kind of started going and they were filming, um, during 2020, uh, the, the latter part of, I guess, 2019 into early 2020. Um, I guess the irony wasn't lost on anybody that the fact that they were finally getting this thing going when there was a giant pandemic happening all over the world, granted, it's not as fatal as Captain Trips, but it's still, there's still something endemic about what's going on. Um, so while this is happening to us to have this miniseries about a, a, uh, a killer pandemic happening was kind of very, um, strange and, and, uh, not ironic, but strange. But the other part of the stand, which is, um, how we are as people. And what type of person are you going to uh, choose to be? And this whole cult-like, um, violent cult-like devotion to a demagogue that is a big part of the stand, uh, that to me is, is the more uh, prescient and salient uh, connection now. Um 
they say it's always darkest before the dawn and and I and I I hope I hope that's the case. Um I know that in January 20th it's an arbitrary day because it's just inauguration and I hope that uh uh you know that's when I'm going to start to feel a little more positive. It's hard. It's tough. It's tough to feel that positive about these things. You know, uh, the last couple of weeks since this thing started, the miniseries started, I kind of been thinking about like where I was emotionally and in my life. Um, when I was, uh, watching, um, and reading the, uh, like reading the stand. Like I remember the first time I read it, it was 1988. I was 14 and emotionally I wasn't in a, in a great place. Uh, so I, I suppose a lot of people kind of had a, a lot. They saw a lot in common with between them and Harold, and I did too. Um, so I felt there were a lot of things in Harold that I saw in myself, and I always kind of in the back of my mind kind of thought like, given the same situation, would I make the same decisions that Harold did? Would I be that? wrapped up in 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 all the bad parts of myself would would it be worse would i make myself a worse person than i could possibly be because of what's going on would would my worst bad instincts my my um hang-ups my my grudges perceived grudges against whoever would that bubble up and would i be a herald um, and I used to, uh, like, there were times when I used to say, like, would I, would I be that? Would I be that type of person? Would I be a Harold? Because that's the worst type of person you can be, um, to choose that. And when I read the, uh, the version of 1990, the unedited version, uh, same thing. I was in the same type of emotional space even worse probably um 16 year old uh and again you're you're still in that emo i'm st- being still in that emotional place wondering if you're that far gone and god help me i i was never that f- god bless i was never that far gone i i, I look at what happened in the world since 1990 and all the terrible things that happened on all these terrible uh, males, people, this toxic masculinity that that, this, that has just grown exponentially worse since then. Um, it's it's tough to see. It's tough on the soul to see. And um, recently, uh, around right now, watching. Uh, <laughs> Watching what's happening in the last few years and then uh, having the stand come out at this time. God help me what would have happened if a certain person was reelected. Um, now I find myself more identifying with Glenn. Good old Glenn Bateman. Um, and whether or not, like, it's worth it. Is the society worth it? Like, uh, is it fundamentally broken? Or can we actually do something to fix it? Now, I I have a lot of um, hope. I'm 
a fairly cynical person. Uh, but I see the young people. Uh, that's so silly. I see the young people. I, I, I know a lot of young people out there, and I can see that the tide is turning, and it may take a little longer than some people are comfortable with. But I, I feel like the tide is turning away from this, and I hope. I mean, I hope so. I am so inspired by the young people of today and what they're capable of and, and, and what their soul is and what and the heart they put into everything and the sort of push um, that my generation, I don't think, ever had. Growing up in the 80s, we kind of like force-fed a certain point of view and it's very easy to kind of like accept that and and not get kind of pushed into like rebelling against the status quo and things could be better and whatever. I like the young people now. I like this this young generation. These younger generations that are just getting older and they're just getting more determined to fix things and to change things for the better. Um, And it's a shame that Glenn couldn't make it because um, I wonder what he would have thought of what was happening by the end of the book. And how things were kind of drifting back to the way they were. He probably would have seen that. Oh, okay, I was right. But there must be there 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 would have been some part of him that would have been very very sad and regretful because I'm sure he didn't want to be proven right. Um. But I, I feel I feel more positive about this. I I hope. I hope things get better. Um, so, how do I transition from real life events and how they mirror or kind of uh, are touching off stuff in my heart uh, about the stand? I, I, there's no, there's no subtle transition I can make. So I'm gonna just go right into the next thing before I go uh, into some detail about. Uh, how I felt about this episode. Um, I want to talk about something else uh, briefly. It's connected to this, Dan. It's it's regarding another podcast, or podcasts in general. Um, just to put any suspense off the table, before I get into this whole thing, um, I just want to say that I love this episode. I really, uh, I'm over the moon with this, with this adaptation. I really am enjoying what they're doing overall. And I think that these first four do a really good job of establishing the tone and what they're doing with the structure and whatever deficits and minuses that second episode had um, that I felt kind of not 100% great with, I think the next two kind of hit it out of the park for me. Um, So I'll get into more detail um, in a little bit. Uh, I guess... uh, Barring what happened yesterday, yesterday in real time, in real life, uh, which I had to mention. There's no way I could mention it. 
I wanted to kind of start this episode off um, with a little discussion about, in general, I guess, podcasts in general, and um, what it means to be doing a podcast about a certain thing when there are other podcasts out there that are kind of covering the same territory. Um, Now, I'm a Stephen King fan. I'm listening right now to two Stephen King podcasts pretty regularly. One is the KingCast with Eric Vespi and Scott Wampler as the uh, co-host. The other is um, In the Company of the Mad, which is a Stephen King podcast where they're uh, rereading The Stand. Um, I know that there are other Stephen King podcasts out there. In fact, I just started listening to another one, and it's called The Losers Club. So between last episode, last week and this week, I started, uh, I subscribed to that. And because I was hearing good things about it, and I was going to give it a shot. Any Stephen King um, podcast, I'm going to, I want to try. Like, if I hear good things about it, I want to give it a try. Um, if it's already been going on. Because I, 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 it's like a community, right? I think a lot of these, uh, a lot of these podcasts. The, one of the great things about podcasts in general is they provide a sense of community, um, like-minded people. You could wa- listen to a podcast about Star Trek, about Star Wars, about horror movies, about whatever, and you're listening to people who are fans and who provide like uh, an extra sort of something to it. it. It's like, you know, I don't have to tell you about podcasts. They're like the new radio. <laughs> you heard it here first. Podcasts are the new radio. Um, there's also an intimacy to podcasts where you may, you may, you feel like a connection. If you have a favorite, you know, you feel a connection with these podcasts. Um, this is all a roundabout way of basically saying that I started the Losers Club and um Lo and behold, I see that the most recent episodes, uh, the that they're recapping the stand. Um, I I kind of like figure that they would. Um, so what I did was between last week and this week, I listened to the fir- the the three episodes where they recapped the first three episodes of the stand. Um, and I know that they have a large group of co-hosts that they bring in like each episode that I've listened to they have about four or five people and and they kind of rotate it seems like they rotate uh it's a big group um and I have no that like when you first start uh when you first start a podcast and there are like a lot of people you and you don't know like the personalities it takes you a while to sort of get in the groove of it. So, um, a lot of the f- listening to that was, A, getting into the groove of getting introduced to these new personalities, and then they kind of change. The next episode, there's a couple of more new ones, and then the episode after that, where they recap the third episode of the miniseries, there's a bunch of new people there. So... I don't know anything about this podcast other than I hear it's a very good 
uh, it's a very good one. That's the only thing I know. I don't know any of the people uh, involved in it or the hosts, at least with the King cast. I know Eric Vespi and Scott Wampler ahead of time, so I know what they what they bring, and I like their voices. Uh, not their literal voices, but I like their editorial voices and their and the work that they've done before this podcast. So I knew kind of where I was co- where I was coming from with those two guys. The hosts of the Losers Club are kind of like blank slates to me, like blank pages, blank pages, so to speak. So, um, so it was kind of interesting, and I have to say I had a reaction to listening to those three episodes. And it's a personal reaction. I have nothing against any of these guys. I like the show. I like the I like the podcast. I'm going to continue to listen to it. Um, but I found that at, I was f- at least after a certain point, I was fundamentally disagreeing with a lot of what they were saying about if not the first episode definitely the second and the third now there's not a lot i can defend there's a lot i can defend about the second episode um but i know that there's issues and problems that i had with the second episode and i know that of all the episodes that's probably the one that's going to be the most difficult to grapple with in terms of what your expectations were what you're looking for um Suffice it to say, overall, the group was not a fan of the second and third episodes. They really were down. And they were long episodes because it's like five or six of them. So they were talking about two hours of... <laughs> each episode was two hours of recapping the show. And, and uh, so at a certain point, I was like very, very heated because there are certain things that will um, elicit reactions to me. One of them is Stephen King. Um, I'm a, I'm, I'm, there are times when I will get all head up because of Stephen King. Um, so, you know, when you get it to a point, maybe you listen to a podcast and you, like, vehemently disagree with what somebody's saying and you're arguing with them. You're you're actually talking out loud to the podcast, and you're like you are insane. They cannot hear you. <laughs> you're talking. You're arguing to empty space, to something that was recorded a while ago. So uh, you know, turn it down. Turn it down a notch. That was me for a bunch of times, at least during the second and third. Um, so that leads me to call, and this is like a general question, and this is what I wanted to start the the actual podcast with. Like, because it led me to a couple of questions, one of which was, um, I guess the length of the episode, right? I saw it was two hours, and I was like, I'm spending about a half hour talking about each episode, Am I talking about it enough? It's just really like a deep, like, I kind of feel like I'm I'm covering each episode and, and my feelings and what they're doing with it fairly well. Um, is it enough? Should I go the full hour and talk about 
uh, an episode for an hour. Um, then I was like, uh, no, 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 it's, it, you're doing okay. I, I like I have a cut like a, a monologue, a conversation with myself. It's like, no, you're doing okay. They have four or five, sometimes six people in their group. They're each going to have um, some time to talk. So talk. I just fucking sound like New York talk. So they're um, they're going to talk uh, a fair amount of time. They want enough space. So you're just one dude <laughs> speaking into the uh, ether. So you're doing okay. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Nobody wants to hear you talk for that long anyway. You're one dude. Half an hour is half an hour ish, half an hour to one hour is 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 a good length. Um plus they're doing it in a different format. They're kind of really really deep diving into every single tiny thing and I don't think I'm going to do that. Um, I don't think I have done it. Also, they're kind of, uh, and this is something, sometimes you may like a podcast, but even in liking it and enjoying it, and I have been enjoying it, I'm not going to throw any of the people, any of the people in the Losers Club under the bus. Um, I like, I'm liking the podcast so far. Um, even with me via like vehemently disagreeing with most of what they have to say about the first three episodes. Um, there's there's a snarkiness that um, creeps up sometimes. I I feel like in some podcasts. Um, I don't know if it's the age because it's not like I don't feel like the age difference between I'm assuming whatever the age difference there was um, between me and these hosts are that significant but I'm never going to be that type of snarky person like that because I can't whatever podcast I'm going to do um, whatever whatever negatives I have against something I don't really I don't like that type of thing. And I could tell that there was an element of the podcast that was snarky for snarky's sake, if that makes sense. Um, That they were almost looking for stuff to rip apart or to rip on. Only to, like, so that they could come up with content for the episode. Um, and, and, and also they were trying to be personalities, uh, so that they could, like, take up space in a podcast. Which, which, as a host, you're gonna do. Uh, as a co-host to a podcast about things you're, you're going to do. But, I found it hard to sort of get completely behind it. Now, what's going to wind up happening is I'll probably go back and listen to one of the earlier episodes, which I probably should have done um, <laughs> beforehand. Uh, I, I didn't know I was going to have such an emotionally uh, uh, present reaction to their recaps of the first three episodes. 
Um, and that kind of like really, and, and it kind of really hit me the, uh, the wrong way. So again, this is not a rip of the, of the podcast. I like the podcast. I like the, I like the people. I like the hosts of it. Um, it's just, it's just interesting and strange. Some things are just interesting for me to note, like your reaction to it, your reaction to a certain thing. Somebody is going to say that you you're kind of powerless to do anything about because you're listening to it. And it's kind of like an angry sort of thing. Like, I guess it's what this toxic atmosphere of a, a Facebook or a Twitter is to the extreme. Um, and, you know, people might say, like, just don't listen to the podcast anymore. Uh, you don't have to listen to it. Nobody's forcing you to listen to it. Yes, that's true. Uh, but I do enjoy it. I enjoy the dudes. I enjoy uh, everybody on that show. Um, it's just certain things are close to my heart. And Stephen King is close to my heart, as it obviously is to these guys in the Losers Club. Um, and if if something is close to my heart and people are not agreeing with it and they're disagreeing with me, a certain way that comes off as a little snarky and a little too cool for school and a little like, let's rip, let's rip on this. Um, and I'm not kind of used to that as, as their thing, because this is my first exposure to them. I'm going to get a, like a reaction. And I guess that's fandom in general, which I guess is what I'm getting at. Anybody has their own sort of likes and, and dislikes when it comes to f- fandoms of certain things. Like, it's definitely in Star Wars, there's there's toxic fandom. Comics, comic books, there's toxic fandom. And Stephen King, everybody, like, like there's a fandom of Stephen King that's really, like, passionate. And, and there are things that they're looking for out of certain things. And we're a passionate bunch. The constant readers out there are a passionate bunch. Um, here's the antidote to all that I just said. The antidote is, after that, I went and I listened to an episode of the KingCast, again, co-hosted by Scott Wampler and Eric Vespi, where they interview Nat Wolf, who is who's playing Lloyd Henry in this uh, new adaptation. And I know that the two of them generally have very positive things to say about the episodes they've seen. Scott's a little bit more positive than Eric. Um, I think Eric kind of has issues with the structure of the show more than Scott. Um, But what a pleasure it was. Um, I don't know. It was kind of a nice kind of thing where I was like, I'm so full with negativity like just personal negativity that I'm feeling that I feel bad that I like some something a lot that other Stevie King fans seem to really be against. I need to sort of counteract that. And I know listening to that interview would, was the trick. And I was kind of keeping it at bay to sort of listen to um, at a certain point. I'm glad I listened to it. I really like the two of them. KingCast is one of my favorite uh, podcasts right now. 
I liked their I like their interviewing style. I like their whole vibe they bring it, and I really like that interview with Nat Wolf. Uh yeah, so here's the thing. I know they dropped another episode, The Losers Club, which is a recap of The House of the Dead. And I'm kind of a little um a little wary of what my reaction to whatever they talk about in the in the episode um because I don't know I'd like to really continue listening to this podcast but I don't know how um the dissonance between what I'm feeling for this podcast for this mini series and what they're feeling how much that's going to affect my overall enjoyment of continuing to listen to this uh to this podcast Maybe it's not. Maybe at a certain point I'll just say I can't listen to it anymore. You, if you if you have general things that you're kind of eh about or whatever, um, you, there's a way to talk about what's wrong or what's not working for you in a way that doesn't seem dismissive. Um, that's the one thing I hate. Um, so we'll see. Because I gotta be honest. I can understand why you wouldn't really be over the moon, uh, so to speak, about that second episode. I can see why you wouldn't really like it. But I think there's such a marked difference between the second and third episode uh, in terms of quality, in terms of what they're doing. I don't know. So... That was all preamble, and I know it's about halfway. This this podcast is halfway over at this point. Um, this is really more about my reaction to other people's reactions to the stand so far than the actual stand. You've heard me at this point. You know where I'm coming from. So now we're going to talk about The House of the Dead, which is the fourth episode. Effectively... With at the by the end of this episode, we're pretty much um, half almost halfway finished, um, and there are certain things we kind of should be uh, should be at, and and I like where we're at at the end of this. Um, all right, we're gonna go through things. Um, piece by piece this is a big boulder episode um, there's a lot of um, moving pieces here um, because there are certain things that have to be done and I think they're done reasonably well um, again I don't know if you could call them shortcuts but a lot of real estate uh, emotional uh, emotional and TV real estate can be handled relatively well if you're if you're kind of uh, structuring an episode uh, pretty on point, and I think this episode did a really good job. Um, all right, the Nadine, the Nadine question, which I think is a big question among. Uh, among people that are watching this. I don't have a giant complaint about what Amber Heard is doing with Nadine. 
Um, I'm going to be honest. Out of all the characters in the show, I mean, in the show, <laughs> in the book, um, I don't think that Nadine is that. Um, I want. I don't want to say three dimensional, but that sort of complex. There's a complexity to her character. Like, how does somebody who's basically been marked by evil since she was very young, and she's basically been spending years waiting for for this to happen? How does she comport herself? How does she act? Um, again, I mentioned this last week. I think that Amber Heard is doing a very good job um, with this character. Nadine is kind of not a blank page, but she's a certain type. And um, it's not until later on in the story, after she hooks up with uh, Flag, that she makes her turn. She's playing a certain t- part in the book, and that's more the femme fatale of the of the story. And I am completely fine with how Amber Heard is is handling this whole thing. Um, it helps that she's kind of um, in scenes with both Owen Teague and Joven Adepo, because they're two of the most charismatic performers. In general, and in and definitely in this uh, in this miniseries, so it's always good when you have somebody who you're working with that kind of is a good kind of like uh, pole, like magnetic pole to work off of. So I think she's doing a you know a good job. I am enjoying what she's bringing to the table with this because this is not an Nadine that we've seen before. Again, Dolores Sanjacoma was not playing Nadine in the original miniseries. She was playing more of a Rita type than Nadine. And Nadine is a tricky type of character to play. She's doing okay. What are you going to do? So you got a lot of stuff going on with Nadine and Harold. The push, not the not the final push, but the push to sort of get Harold to a certain place. And a lot of it is sort of shortcutting. Again, I don't mind the shortcutting as long as it's emotionally true. And I can feel the emotional truth with these characters. Um, I got it. Again, Owen Teague is a big part of the success of this as far as I am concerned. I cannot stress enough how well cast this thing is and how a lot of these people are just basically hitting it out of the park. This episode was full of a lot of greatness. Owen Teague is so fantastic in this role. Then you got the other MVP of this episode, which is Brad William Henke as Tom Cullen. Um, he had big shoes to fill because Bill Fagerbacky was so great in the original. He is so, um, he is so good. He is so good in this episode, and you can tell right away he is a rock star in this. He he does 
so many good things here. And he is so good almost immediately with Henry Zaga as Nick. Again, Henry Zaga's got a good scene partner and a good partner with him in, again, it's not, you're not spending hours with the two of them. It's shortcutting. You used to have a couple of scenes with them. But if the two of them are so good together, you get an immediate sort of read on their friendship and their relationship. And I think the two of them are so good together. Immediately, you get everything you need to know about Nick and how he's interacting with Tom, Nick and Tom's relationship, and the sort of friendship and protectiveness that both of them have towards each other. So you don't need to spend three hours um, <laughs> with the two of them hanging out on the road. If, it's, if, if the time you have, if you're spending, is done really well by everybody in, involved, you don't need the, the space and the real estate to do it. I think. I think they're doing a really bang up job with that. You know, again, like, the, uh, this was a good episode for Nick to sort of push more forward into kind of being the, the I guess, the heart. Is he the heart? He's kind of the heart, of the, the heart and soul of the group. A really good job. Really good job. Um, what else? You got Greg Kinnear again. Killing it. Uh, and uh, Odessa Young uh, is kind of stepping up. And again, the only other comparison I have on, on screen is Molly Ringwald. And y'all, Molly Ringwald. I love Molly Ringwald. But as Fran, she was always the... Uh, the really giant sort of um, uh, outlier in the sh- in in the show. She, I think, she was miscast, definitely, and I never really loved her, uh, Franny, at all. Um, but Odessa Young, I think, is another one that's really doing such a good job. And I like that we get to see a little bit more Boulder stuff. Um, and I like what she's doing. I like her reaction to the Harold thing. Um, and I like the introduction of Dana. Um, on the road. That was really nice. Again, you don't need to necessarily have something like that you could have something equivalent. And they did. Instead of like a bunch of... um, a bunch of kind of dirtbag guys. It's one guy. Um, And they have like Dana and and another um, woman kind of there when the guy accosts and and, uh, Harold and Fran... That's all you need. As long as you have somebody who can come in like Angus Sampson. Come in. Boom. I'm going to be this asshole. I'm going to show you what the worst type of person is. Um, and then 
Harold, just the ultimate, almost like the ultimate humiliation of Harold. Right? It's like a one, two, three punch. The first punch is he makes his pass at at uh, Fran. Fran is understandably upset and, and understandably says, Harold, no. Um, then the second punch is him being so bad. And again, understandably, he's not like, I can understand, he's a 16-year-old kid who's not going to fucking do that much against a really, like, aggro guy. Um, but that humiliation of him just cowering and then being, co- like, splattered with bu- blood of the dude. Um, and then the third punch is... Um, is just being witness to uh, that tender moment between uh, Stu and Franny. And I like that the difference is um, from this and from the original miniseries is that it's not an automatic... um, It's not an automatic the two of them are kissing and making out. Um... It's a little thing. It's a tiny embrace. And again, shortcutting is fine if it's done really well and if the people that are doing it know what they're doing and uh, everybody involved from the directing and the writing and the acting and the chemistry, if you can shortcut something, you don't need to have two or three hours of (laughs) Fran and Stu hanging out for it to be an effective um, sort of uh, the signaling of their relationship, of their deepening relationship. You get it. Like, I don't want to say anything about the original miniseries, God bless, but Mick Garris and Stephen King kind of went that, that thing in the, mid, in the miniseries went from like zero to a hundred in like five minutes. (laughs) You know, they were like make full on making out on the, uh, at the, at the river, the lake, like within like 10 minutes of time. So that's okay. I don't need every second of time to be taken up with this. They're doing such a good job of handling stuff. I'm really impressed with how they're, what they're doing. Um, Dana. We got Dana here. Natalie Martinez playing Dana. Again, we don't need to know more about Dana uh, before she's sent off on the spy trip except she's tough she can handle herself and she kind of is the one that says like okay you know she's the one that takes the initiative in in trying to in and dealing with uh the trucker um that's all we need to know about dina you know a mini series or a movie is always going to be different than the actual original source material and as long as you do it well, you can sort of cut out a lot of stuff 
that you would have in a book. Um, what else? The judge. The judge is also another um, another prime example. In the original miniseries, the judge has one real scene with Larry when Larry comes in. Um, and because the judge is played by Ozzie Davis in the original miniseries, that scene is enough, right? Before that, the judge is not really an actual character. In the book, it's different. There's a couple more things, and um, it's kind of nice to have the judge as a sort of counterpoint to Glenn Baton, to Glenn when it comes to Larry's relationship and Stu's relationship with Glenn. Um, having the judge as the kind of father figure that Larry never had is a nice way, um, and there's a nice respect between the two of them. But honestly, the biggest part of the judge's sort of um, story is what happens to him on the way to Vegas. That's the big part of the judge's thing in the book. And all you need is to believe that the, wo- uh, that the woman that's playing the judge knows what she's doing and is... And is Happy to do it. You don't need a big speech. Would it, uh, would it be nice maybe to have a big speech? But you don't have Ozzie Davis doing being doing a big speech. The you know, it's fine. The judge is fine. Does a good job. Um, what else? Tom Cullen again. I could go around. Uh, Catherine McMara making an appearance. Um, good initial. First impression, she's fantastic. Um, she knows exactly what notes to hit. Uh, she's despicable, and it's great. And that scene, and the three of them together briefly, and then uh, Nick and Tom after that, uh, just fantastic. That's enough. That's enough for me. I get it. I get it. Um, and I like... And then then the payoff. The payoff to that immediate scene when they're outside cowering at the bus depot... At the bus stop. It's just choice. Because uh, here we got... Here we have... All right. And I like the fact that Hemingford Home in, the, in this miniseries is an actual, like, old age home. And it's not Hemingford Home. It's not a... It's not a home. It's not a. It's not a small town in Alabama. It's a rest. Uh, it's a. It's a. <laughs> it, it's a rest home. It's a retirement community. Uh, you know that's great. And Stephen King making his Alfred Hitchcock cameo in the, uh, in the bus, <laughs> in the, <laughs> advertisement for Hemingford Home, is just great. I love it. Um, and again. I love that that scene where they come and they meet Mother Abigail and the three of them together is so good. I I was very this ep, I was the first episode, right? I had an emotion in me um of contentment and kind of like I was really so pleased. This is this 
there were times when I had tears. I'm going to be honest. There were times I had, I had tears in my eyes. They all had to do with Tom and Nick and that whole relationship. Because I think they do such a good job here in this particular episode of quickly establishing everything. And I bought it. And I got it. Um, what else? R.I.P. Teddy Wyzak. Ian Bailey. Another great sort of like... Does last... He he really was a, a good sort of addition to this to to this whole thing, and I like what they did with this character in this adaptation. I like how they made him more of a, a friendlier presence with Harold. I can't again. I can't remember. Uh, like no, no, he was the. I like what they're doing, and I like the sort of twist at the end where he. Um, He's kind of, I mean, again, it's a little signposty. It's a little like on the nose. Harold's only kind of real friendly relationship is like dead to him and gone. And Nadine sort of takes the initiative to do it. Now, Harold probably could have sort of finessed the situation. Maybe he would have been forced to kill Teddy and it would have been bad or just as bad but um I like what they did there um what else what else is there uh I just like the whole thing man I like Franny's diary entries that she's writing to her child I like the whole establishing of of um a boulder as an actual society. I like the whole meeting. Um, I like what they did there. I liked uh, the whole, uh, you know, night watch thing, which I can't remember in the if in the book, it's done exactly like it's done. I don't think that it's different, and I think that. Um, Harold is not part of the Night Watch. So I like what they kind of did um, there. I like the fact that they kept in Toto in there. I think it's hilarious um, that he says in Toto, and that's going to be <laughs> in Toto. Uh, oh, the paydays. I wish there was a bit, uh, like a little bit more there. Like, I wish there was a shot when Larry gives him. Uh, the bag in the second episode, and you know that it's full. Well, you don't know. The people who read the book know that that's full of candy bars um, because Harold has been leaving wrappers on the floor when he eats. I like that they sort of re- uh, they touched on the paydays. You don't need to have Harold eating stuff, but it's kind of nice that he's eating the candy bar, the payday candy. It's a payday, right? Um I like that I get uh, uh, again. I like that they have a bunch of people, a bunch of actors that cast that really look at home with each other and really look like they have fun with each other 
and enjoy each other's company. And I like how they kind of deepened Nick's character a little bit with this episode. Um, and again, I feel like every episode is kind of building on the next. Like, people might say, oh, Nick was kind of given short shrift in, in the third episode. He, he's kind of like his whole story arc and Shoyo is kind of fast-forwarded and all of a sudden he's this or whatever and he's with Tom. I think this episode, even though it's not a lot, it's two or three scenes, this episode does a very good job of kind of like establishing him more. Um, what else? Listen. I brought this up a bunch of times, and um, you're talking to somebody who's a giant Keith King fan. You're talking to somebody who's this 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 book is a touchstone for me, and it's I've lived this book has lived in my brain for years, for over thirty years. Um, and one of the things that I was thinking about and questioning listening to those three episodes of, of The Losers Club and was like, am I fooling myself? Um, am I fooling myself and telling myself that I like this um, miniseries more than I do? Uh, because, you know, because you're disappointed and you were expecting something and it's not that. Um... Are you fooling yourself? Are you trying to make yourself like this? And I I told myself, no, no. I genuinely like this a lot. I like what they're doing. Um, not that I was nervous after the, during the second episode, but I think of the four that I've that have that are that have been dropped that have been dropped. The four that have aired. I think the second is the uh, is the weakest one overall, but there's enough in that second episode for me to really kind of be okay with it being not as great as the other three. And if I want to bring, I'm going to bring it up now. I brought it up before. I'm going to bring it up again. the The structure of the episodes, how they're flashback and forth and whatever, and people's complaints, critics' complaints, and even the complaints in the Losers Club. There was a lot of complaints about the structure, about the flashbacks and the flashbacks upon flashbacks upon dreams in the third episode. With Lost, right? And even with This Is Us, right? I think as a viewing public, the viewer now is kind of like trained to sort of like accept this kind of storytelling. Like the whole point of This Is Us is that the structure of it allows you to visit two to three different time periods during a different uh, episode, you know, during the same episode and have them kind of relate 
and ripple with each other in different ways. So I think of you, the viewer in, in general, with, with, uh, with This Is Us, which is now the, 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 the current sort of example of that, and with Lost. Lost had several years of flashback lately. We're a savvy bunch, viewers. We can handle flashbacks. There's nothing about the flashback structure that at this point is um, detrimental to, to, to the tension and, and whatever. Um, I don't mind that they're doing the spies four episodes in. Um, I, I, I like that Franny made the decision with Dana and that it wasn't a stew thing and that Glenn made the decision with Tom and it wasn't on Nick um, and I like so much about what they're doing and I'm so happy with what they're doing and I'm curious about um about what what's next. Uh, and again, I may talk about other stuff in regards to this episode in the next episode, in a future episode, because this is literally like minutes. I, I finished the episode and then I got on to do this podcast, so there's a lot of stuff that's probably bubbling in um, in my brain that a second viewing would probably bring up more. So, so over the M O O N, <laughs> I enjoy. Uh, I'm enjoying this ride. This is like a big load off my off my mind that I'm enjoying this so much. Um, I gotta tell you, if I did not enjoy this show, uh, this would have been a big fucking uh, black hole. I would feel this. I would feel it. Uh, I would feel like the extreme disappointment in my in my bones, in my soul, in my being if I didn't really love what's happening and what they're doing. Uh, high marks all around. The House of the Dead. Um, I'll see you guys next week. Fellow constant readers, signing off. Let's be careful out there.